moved into a section here, chapter 10 to the end of the book, on spiritual warfare and its focus. And one of the things you need to understand about spiritual warfare is, is who's your ally? Because <laughs> not everybody talking about heaven's going. So, if you would please follow with the reading of the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 7. You are looking at things as they are outwardly. If anyone is confident in himself that he is Christ, let him consider this again within himself, that just as he is Christ, so also are we. For even if I boast somewhat further about our authority, which the Lord gave for the building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be put to shame, for I do not wish to seem as if I would terrify you by my letters." For they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is unimpressive and his speech contemptible. Let such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letters when absent, such persons we are also indeed when present. For we are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves, but When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are without understanding. But I will not boast beyond our measure, but within the measure of the sphere that God has apportioned to us as a measure to reach even as far as you. For we are not overextending ourselves as if we did not reach to you, for we were first to come even as far as you with the gospel of Christ, not boasting beyond our measure, that is, in other men's labors, but with hope that as your faith grows, we will be able within our sphere enlarged even more by you so as to preach the gospel even to the regions beyond you and not to boast in what has been accomplished in the sphere of another. But he who boasts is to boast in the Lord, for it is... Not he who commends himself that it is approved, but it is he whom the Lord commends. Father, help us to hear these wonderful words. And Father, help us, each of us, to search our hearts to make sure that we're not guilty. And that, Father, that we understand the urgency of the day that we are in now, even the battle that Paul fought in Corinth. And yet, Father, the battle has raged since that time even. Lord, help us. Um, It's a time of deception, it's a time of a lack of discernment, and it is a time of very weak faith. Help us to grow in our commitment to you, commit to your word, and to be on our knees in humility to the King of kings and Lord of lords, in Christ and Christ alone. Amen. We're dealing in this whole context in 7 through 18 with a true man of God is known by. How is he known by? And I'm going to quickly go back through his relationship with Christ. His impact on the church. Um, this is a dangerous time because there's a lot of people who are uh, whatever you want to call them, but they're not hooked to a church and they're doing it in the name of Christ. And he said, I will build my church. Okay. And um, I get into trouble when people say, you know, I have a parachurch organization and I say, I'm not interested. Okay, and, uh, you know, well, how can you not be interested? I know I'm the only one, but (laughs) I'm not interested. Why, if you're not affiliated with a church, I'm not interested in what you're doing. Because the church is the body of Christ. All right, so that impact on the church. His compassion for people, 
His disdain for fleshly methods, his integrity, and what we've been looking at over the last few weeks is humility. And I want to get back to humility. Okay, we're dealing with humility. Why? A, what is a humble man of God known by? What is a humble man of God known by? One is, and we looked at this two weeks ago, an unwillingness to compare themselves to others. An unwillingness to compare themselves to others. Verse 12. We are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves. There are those who will set their own standards and try to live, out, out, live above that standard and tell you how great they are because they, achieve, they overachieved in their own standard. Secondly, they are willing to labor in the sphere that God has appointed them. Appointed them. Verse 13. We do not boast beyond our measure, but within the measure of the sphere God has apportioned to us as a measure to reach even as far as you. Okay, the word there literally means that he's talking about running in a lane. False, non-true men of God believe that they are the saviors of the world. And they want to just expand their boundaries. All right, and they are critical of anyone who would question that. The Apostle Paul understood that his lane, the one that he was running in, is the one that God had designed. You are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to good works that God preordained that you would walk in them. Okay? Which brings me to a third point on humility. An unwillingness to take credit for another's work. All right. An unwillingness. When I, I look at the Bible and then a, a number of men that I have read, one of the things that I have seen, whether it was Robert Murray McShane, who labored with John Knox in the Scottish um, Reformation, which is 1500s, or Charles Spurgeon or Stephen Olford or Arthur Pink. You name it, all the people that I have read, one of the things that you hear that's underlying everything is humility. Humility. And, and I was just thinking about some of these men, some of the things that I've read in the Bible, that's where they were pulling their thoughts from. And I just want to go through some of these definitions of humility because when I teach a leadership class, the guys have to define humility. Okay, and, you know, then they asked me and I said, it's the absence of pride. Um, and you guys know how I am. I don't tend to be into verbiage, but, but I read verbiage. So there. Let me give you some things about humility. Humility stands out. You know why? It thinks lowly of itself. Thinks lowly of itself. One of the authors I read says, and it's a quote, Humility is a commitment to fall before a great glory of God in lowliness and submission. Unquote. It's an eagerness to give God all the credit for everything that is good, profitable in one's life. That's humility. It is the spirit, Ron Owens said, it is the spirit of true worship. Now you think about some of the stuff that's being called worship today and tell me how humble it is. Just a question. 
It is an attitude that is convinced that no task is beneath me. It is knowing that one is far from what he or she should be and therefore can't boast or brag or promote oneself. It's humility. Humility is embarrassed when commended. Humility never pretends purity. Humility can know no hypocrisy. Here's one that I think would be tricky. Humility cannot, cannot be concerned with the pride of others because it sees its own pride as worse. A willingness and an eagerness to serve. A willingness and an eagerness to serve is humility. It is content to submit to all. In that, that commitment to submit, think about it from this perspective. It, it's willing to submit all of our plans to the will of God. Now think about that for a second. Have you ever had uh, the proverbial heart burn because something didn't go your way? That's because you were over humble. It didn't go your way. The plan is still God's. Therefore, what? Are we having fun yet? I haven't even gotten to the text. That's the introduction. Second Corinthians 3, 5. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. You know what that means? This is how Terry would say it. Put no confidence in the flesh. No confidence in the flesh. See how humility is? There is nothing that I can see a truer mark, a truer characteristic of a Christian than humility. There's definitely nothing greater in a true man of God. Humility will be the forefront. The great men of God that I've had the privilege to sit down and talk with stunned me because they all have, were extraordinarily humble. They have an unwillingness to take credit for another's work. You know what? The false, um, if you're really honest with yourself, the false, in this case, the accusers of the Apostle Paul, accomplish very little. Right? I mean, I mean listen, if you think that Building a big building and filling it up with sound equipment and projectors and lights and all the rest of it. You think that's success. Okay, that doesn't accomplish anything. You guys give me a hundred million dollars, I'll do the same thing. Okay, and I'll get Led Zeppelin in here and Eric Clapton in here and, you know, it'd be wonderful. Okay, but do you see what I'm trying to get at? That that doesn't accomplish anything. What you accomplish is change lives. When when the world comes at them, 
and they stand. That's accomplishment. And you know what? It's just like the Apostle Paul said in chapter 3. Who's adequate for that? Who is adequate to perfect one's soul? You ever think about that? So where in the world are you going to get pride? This is out of my league. I was dealing with a lady. She's going to buy a motorcycle off of me. And she's a psychologist. <laughs> I love psychologists. <laughs> okay. okay. I, I think they're the greatest thing since sliced bread. Because God put me on this planet to torment their soul. Because I can ask questions and twist things around so fast on them. Um, I, I was in college back a long time ago, and the only class that I ever really attended was philosophy. <laughs> and that's the only thing that ever really stuck with me. And the reason that I liked it so much was because it was so stinking absurd. And then, you know, at that time in my life, I was living in absurdity. And so it, it fit me like a glove. And, and I was speaking to this lady and I said, well, psychology is the study of the soul, isn't it? And she said, well, how do you know that? I said, well, I read a little bit of Greek. And she says, well, you know, very few people know that. I says, well, how are you doing with that? <laughs> okay. I mean, <laughs> you know, she thinks I'm a motorcycle mechanic, which, you know, I'm still trying to figure that out myself. But <laughs> you, you just sit there, and, and we had a, quite a dissertation on it. And, uh, and, and, and I thought about it after she left. She didn't buy the motorcycle, but anyway. <laughs> and I don't think I fixed her soul. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, when she left, you know, I thought about it for a while. And I thought, you know what? Um, these are just the things, because spiritual warfare is what? Speculations and lofty things raised up against the true knowledge of God. She's got her lofty speculations, doesn't she? And all of a sudden you get somebody that not, you know, how in the world did you know that psychology was the study of the soul? Okay, how did you know that? You don't look like you're that bright. And I ain't that bright. <laughs> I read it in Lifetime magazine. Why? <laughs> anyway. What I, I share that with is false people don't accomplish anything. Do you understand that? I mean, you've got to look at the fruits of their labor. They don't have the ability to change the heart. They don't even have the tool to change the heart. But you know what I have noticed about them? They will take credit for things they haven't done. Okay? Someone recommended me, and you wouldn't believe what I did with that, but I was helping, and I was in, I was in the background. Okay? Do you see what I mean? They will take credit for it. And you know what? I also see them that they will make claims of things that didn't actually happen. Thousands of people came. How many? Well, Fifty. Well, that's close. You know, I, you, 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 you sit there and you go, well, wait a minute. Okay. The Apostle Paul is arguing on the basis that 
God called me to Corinth. Okay? And the Corinthian church is evidence that he was used there. Does that make sense? Because there's a lot of people who claim a lot of stuff for no apparent reason. But the true man of God will never claim another person's work or another person's labor. If you look at the end of verse 14, we were the first to come even as far as you in the gospel of Christ. Who was the first one in Corinth to bring the good news of Jesus Christ? Paul. And it's obvious that God wanted it preached there because guess what happened? A church grew out of it. A gifted church grew out of it. Okay? So he says, verse 15, not boasting beyond our measure. That is in another men's labors. He says, I didn't come in and start on somebody else's foundation. Or work off of somebody else's foundation. I didn't do it in other men's labors. I'm not taking credit for something that I didn't do. Or something that I shouldn't have done. This is very serious if you think about it. Remember in verse 13? The sphere that God had apportioned to the Apostle Paul. He worked within that sphere. He ran in the lane that God had given him. So basically, when you think about it, when he says, I didn't work on another man's works, there's no boasting there. And reality bears him out. It's an accurate statement that God had called him there. You you see that? This is crucial because a humble person doesn't come in and say, well, here, I'll fix it. Because these deceivers had come in, and that's why you see the chaos in the first letter of Corinthians. Paul had already laid a foundation. He had already raised up leaders. And the false came in, sowed a seed of doubt on the apostle Paul, and by doing that, they sowed chaos. We haven't seen that before, have you? See, you guys all thought that was a Baptist thing. Okay? Nah, it's a church thing. We came and did what God called us to do in Corinth, Paul is telling them. And we knew it because they were the fruit of it. You see that? Listen, we've had a lot of people who come through this church. Some of you guys have been here since I've been the senior pastor. Uh, We've seen a lot of people come and go. Okay, we, we, we've, we've been hurt by some of them. Uh, you, you see them show up and, and all they try to do eventually is, is they'll sow a seed of doubt and then they want to try to get a division over here, a division over here. Yeah, we got like four churches in Castle Rock that all came out of this one because somebody didn't like me. Okay? We are spiritual juggernauts here. Okay? But I I want you to remember this because the Apostle Paul said, you know what? I know that I was supposed to be there because the gospel had never been named there. And now it is. And your fruit that God of my obedience to what God had placed me for. 
He was called. He had every right to be in Corinth. He had every right to minister there. It was a portioned lane for the Apostle Paul's life. It was an apportioned sphere for the Apostle Paul's ministry. God had preordained it. The tool of the Spirit of God in that place is evidenced by the church in Corinth. Perhaps they were accusing Paul that he shouldn't have been there. That this was supposed to be their place. People and their kingdoms. How many times have we seen that? This is my church. Really? What happens when God takes it away from you? Perhaps the false were saying Corinth was our place. The false wanted to remove Paul. The false wanted to be listened to. And their teaching was not of Christ. If their teaching was not of Christ, you've got to do something to discredit the Apostle Paul whose teaching is of Christ. And they do it. They do it. Paul says, I was there first. I came there first. I preached the gospel in Corinth first. Remember Corinthians chapter 3? 1 Corinthians chapter 3? I planted, Apollos watered. God brought the harvest. Okay? Further in that verse 10, I laid the foundation. Apollos worked on the foundation. Others are building on what Paul had founded. And Paul wasn't exaggerating his claim. He wasn't taking credit for something he didn't do. In Acts 16 and chapter 18, chapter 16 and chapter 18, it was Paul who was first to preach in Corinth. You know what's funny about that? It is Luke who tells us. It's not the apostle. Luke tells us exactly what happened. Listen, Paul was used by God as a tool to evangelize the city of Corinth. And the city of Corinth was an awful, awful place. The false, I see them as invaders. And their job? Scatter the flock. And if you read 1 Corinthians, they were having some success at it. They were enemies of the gospel. They had gotten in, to use Paul's terminology, they had gotten into Paul's lane. They had gotten into his sphere that had been apportioned to him. Why? Because they're self-centered. They're self-seeking. And once they get in, they want to deceive the congregation. And this was a big concern of the Apostle Paul. He had spent two years there. He had poured himself in day and night, house to house, teaching them and raising up leaders. And then this chaos has moved in. He, you can tell he's bothered about it. You go to chapter 11, verses 3 and 4. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds, there it is again, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. For if one comes and preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit which you have not received, a different gospel which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. You didn't discern, you took it in, because these guys had letters of recommendation and boasted of great and mighty things that they had no evidence to validate. 
Gosh, it sounds like church planners today. They tell you what they have done. And have you seen it? I haven't seen it. Well, I was part of this church. What the heck does that mean? Perhaps they run you off. Why? You weren't guarding your mind against it, and the speculations and the lofty knowledge was raised up, and you bit it hook, line, and sinker. Listen, one of the things that is consistent about false men of God, they do not strengthen, they destroy. Please understand that. Now, listen, you say, well, well, but look at all these people that came and it. What happened to them? What happened to them? You see what I'm trying to get at? See, we can sit there and say, well, golly, they had all these people showed up. You know what? It's been a number of years ago. uh, I wasn't pastor then. Uh, John MacArthur came up to Riverside Baptist Church to speak. He did a three day conference on biblical exposition. Okay, we went up there. Man, I was excited. Okay, we go up there and uh, there's about 150 people there for three days of biblical exposition. Okay, maybe one of the greatest preachers that the world has ever seen. Okay, well, it's cool for me because there wasn't a lot big crowd and I could ask really stupid questions. Okay. The following week, they had Ebb from Green Acres. Okay. They had three buildings of overflow seating so they could run video of him telling Christian jokes. Yeah, I'm sorry, I missed Ebb, but, <laughs> you know, I had seen him on Green Acres. Okay. See what I'm trying to get at? Why? Who was right? Who was speaking forth for the Lord? See, the false don't build up. They scatter. They tear down. See, the false have no ability to give strength of faith. The false come in. They come in behind the true ones. And they destroy. Go look at any church and see it. You can have a man of God. Go look at Riverside Baptist right now. It's a mess. It was the bright, shining light on a hill when Rick Ferguson was up there. But I told Rick a couple of times, I said, dude, you're letting every Tom, Dick, and Harry come in here and start a quote-unquote ministry. And he said, well, we're just trying to reach out. I was like, well, that's fine, but you're, you're trying to push a chain. When he died, it took them seven years to find a preacher. Seven years. And we had a meeting of the denomination. And, of course, I'm on the executive board. So I cruise in there and, you know, they're all sitting there. And we can't understand why we can't. They had offered the job about four different guys. And um, <laughs> nobody would, you know, they would, well, I don't want it. And they were like, well, you don't want it. <laughs> cool. Um, and, and I'd already confronted them earlier because they told me that they had to have somebody that was over 40 years old and had a PhD. And I said, so you wouldn't want Christ to be your preacher. Okay. 
And so, so when they see me come in for the second meeting, they're like, oh, this is going to be great. And so everybody had, you know, well, they should do this. They need to do this. And they need to do this. And they need to do this. And so I raised my hand. They said, well, what? And I said, uh, where's the widow? What? Yeah, you know, that lady was married to Rick. Where's she? They had no idea. And you wonder why you can't find a pastor. Dude, that ain't rocket science. It's there. Where's the widow? Why? Because you'd opened the door because you weren't following the biblical principles that you knew. And when you don't follow those principles, what are you opening the door to? They brought an expositor in, a guy that I knew, Dr. Shaddix, and they run him off. Because they had spent enough time floundering or whatever you want to call that the true leaders had gotten frustrated through their hands up and had wandered off that when the uh, ones who come in from behind. I remember talking um, that, that, that you can see this happen, whether it's in a local church in that picture. It can be in denominations. Uh, go read the early writings of the Methodists. Go read them. It'll stun you. And you keep thinking, what happened? Okay? It is. Go read Wesley. Uh, he'll freak you out. You're like, oh, geez. Okay? I mean, he. I'm glad he's not around. <laughs> the church would kill him now. But, but it also happens in schools. If you know anything about the Scottish Reformation... I, I love history. I know a lot about the Scottish Reformation. The Scottish Reformation was founded in blood. Okay? Um, there are Bibles that come out of um, that time. If you look at them, uh, the corner of the bottom of it, uh, kind of on a diagonal, is pink. And it took people a while to figure out what that was. And what it was is that anybody that was found with a Bible was eviscerated and they stuck the Bible into their guts. They did not believe that the commoners should have a Bible. That's how the Scottish Reformation, you could read about John Knox setting up on St. Andrew's castles, firing a cannon at the French Navy that uh, Mary... Queen Mary had sent to destroy the the reformers that were hiding out in Andrew's castle. And they the French Navy was offshore firing into the castle to kill him. You know why? They believed that every man should have the Bible. John Knox made a comment in one of his diaries that a cannon that is aimed is an amazing thing. <laughs> That's all idea. <laughs> yeah. See, people don't understand. You know how John Knox got his start? He was personal bodyguard for his pastor. Carried a huge sword because the Queen of England wanted them all dead. And he was a personal bodyguard. That's how he got his start. Scotland, the Church of Scotland, was founded by the blood of the Scottish reformers and the fire and the passion of Robert Murray McShane and John Knox. John Calvin was writing Bibles in the English and getting them to Scotland so that these people would have the word to pass out. 
That's how it was founded. Today, if you want to join and be a pastor in the Church of Scotland, you have to go to one of four schools. Okay, Church of Scotland has four schools in Scotland. Edinburgh, Glasgow, and I forget where the other two are. You have to go to those four schools. Okay, If you do not graduate from those schools, you cannot be a pastor in the Church of Scotland. Do you know that the bulk of their professors do not believe in God? They are atheists. Wonder what you're going to produce. How can you have schools, seminaries like that? That, that, that were bought for that amazing price. And now you've got professors that are teaching that are atheists. Shocking, isn't it? Do you know what Harvard and Princeton started out as? Seminaries. Go check them out now. Harvard Law School, renowned Harvard Law School, originally started. If you were going to argue a case, they gave you the letter to the Romans. And you would learn the tacticians of the Apostle Paul writing to the Romans and all the arguments that he would lay out and how he would defeat the arguments. And that's how you would win a case in court is by knowing how Paul did it in the letter to the Romans. They can't even spell Romans now. The false scatter, the false destroy. So many seminaries started out with fire and passion, conviction around the world. And guess what? They've been taken over and they have nothing to offer to strengthen. The ex-president of Denver Seminary, I met with him one time. And he said he was stunned. Now, you've got to understand, seminary is master degree work. Okay? And uh, he says, I've got kids coming in here. Okay? In seminary, to be preachers. That believe God of the Old Testament and God of the New Testament are different. They're not the same. He says, it is not uncommon for them to tell me that in the Old Covenant, you were saved by works and you are saved by grace in the New Covenant. I just smiled and looked at him and I said... You reap what you sow. You've been training their pastors who have been teaching these souls to come back to this school. And this is what we're getting. See, there are some who are in pulpits and in seminaries that have no calling, no giftedness, no truth, no ministry. And all they can do is destroy and scatter. Okay? But guess what? They want to take gifts, take credit for gifts that they don't even have. Callings they don't have, work they haven't done. And they will boldly boast about lies. And you know what? That is completely opposite of the Apostle Paul. It is completely opposite of a true man of God. Paul understood that he came by the will of God, by the power of God, with the gifts of God had given him, and was there first because it was God's plan. The reason that I'm still here at Castle Rock Baptist Church is because it is God's plan. God has not laid on my heart to go anywhere else. Verse 15, not boasting beyond our measure, that is in another man's labors, but with the hope 
that your faith would grow. I'm not beyond my measure. You know what? I read that, and in the original Greek text, um, it's dripping with sarcasm. Okay? Why? Because I'm not boasting beyond my measure like these guys. Okay? He's pointing at the false accusers who have laid claim to things that were not true, that they had not done. Paul was not boasting in another man's labors. False will lay claim to anything that is positive and will take credit for nothing negative. Wasn't my fault. It sounds like a politician. But anyway. So many have no spiritual impact. I see so many pastors today who are having no impact. Listen, drawing a crowd is not an impact. If if that's what it takes, then the Broncos have got to be the most spiritual thing in the country. Because they would pack out when they were awful. It ain't drawing a crowd. Is there an impact? And you know what? The false will lay claims and they will even make up works. And whatever, and, and, and people say, well, how can they do this? Well, if they have no progress to brag about, then they're going to make something up. That's amazing. They're easy, it's, they're eager to take credit for what they have not done. Because they haven't done anything. That's why it's easy for them to take credit for something they haven't done. Why? Because they don't have the power of God behind them. If they don't have the power of God, then what are they? Salesmen. That's all it is. Why have we moved from the preaching of the word to music? You ever thought about that? Listen, I love music. All kinds of music. But... What is the impact for helping a person who's diagnosed with cancer now and their race is coming to an end? What music is going to fix that? Okay? And everybody said, well, you can get comfort out of it. I've got the book of Psalms. Praises unto the Most High God. See, their pride means that they have no problem whatsoever taking credit of what others have achieved. I heard a guy preach two sermons. (laughs) It was kind of funny. Two different places. And I had traveled and happened to know that he was going to be there, so I was going to be there. And during the sermon, I don't even remember what he was preaching on. That's how powerful it was. He made a statement. I just happened to think of something. And then he told us what it was. The following night in another town. I just happened to think of something. No, you thought of it yesterday. See how subtle that is? And I see it all over the place. See, the humble struggles to take credit for what has been accomplished You know what? You can't find the Apostle Paul taking credit for what God accomplished in it. The only reason we know what the Apostle Paul did is because Luke wrote it down. Timothy. We don't have any ideas of what the Apostle Paul. Paul never told us. 
Verse 15 says, I do not boast in others' labors. Now he's got serious sarcasm. But with the hope. Okay, see how he transitioned that? Hope that what? Think about that for a second. Because if you want to find a man of God, a true shepherd, what is he trying to do? What is he trying to accomplish? I want a big offering? Bigger building? A sabbatical. (laughs) What does he want? He wants the people's faith to grow. Now, let me ask you a question. How do you see that? I got a light billboard outside that has faith growth and growing and growing. Oh, it's a little tough. And growing. How do you do that? That should be the passion of the man of God. That the people, the souls in the lane that he is running, that has been apportioned to him, his passion, his desire, his fire is that those people's faith will grow. There's one weren't at the time, but it was in the process of rebounding. He wants to see their faith get stronger. He wants them to see as revelations them be overcomers. He wants them back to sound doctrine. Why? Sound doctrine prepares your faith for the trials and tribulations of this life. I remember one time I was uh, thinking about it. It was back when Matt was still here. And uh, we had a pretty good crowds on Wednesday nights. And uh, I was getting ready to transition. And he says, well, what are you going to teach us? I'm going to teach the book of Job. He says, on Wednesday nights? I said, yeah, we'll, we'll do that one. He says, you know, every time you teach something, we have to go through it. So I read through Job again, and I said, I'll wait. <laughs> I don't want me to go through it. Dr. MacArthur gave me a book, his pre, pre-published edition, and it's called Safe in His Arms. And uh, he said, you know, we haven't published this. It's not out yet. And he says, you guys read it. He says, there might be some typos and stuff like that. But he said, it may have Bible verses, a verse or something off. But he says, you know, here you go. So I, what's it about? He says, what happens when an infant dies? I ain't reading that. <laughs> you can't make me read that. <laughs> I don't want no part of that book. Why? Because everything I study, God says, yep. <laughs> no, I don't want no part of it. Why? I want to see people in sound doctrine. Why? Because sound doctrine brings obedience to Christ. And when that happens, what happens to their faith? It grows. And we will be within our sphere enlarged. How? Read the text. Even more by you. Why? Because your faith grew, which means I can leave you alone for a minute. I mean, that's what he's saying. Enlarge more. Once you're strong, then I'll be able to go beyond you. It will enlarge the field of my influence, my sphere, my race within that sphere that God has given me. As you become stronger, I will move beyond you. And that's a great strategy. Look at 16. 
So as to preach the gospel even to the regions beyond you and not to boast in what has been accomplished in the sphere of another. Let me go somewhere else, move on to where Christ has not been named. Paul wasn't through. He knew he wasn't through. He wanted, go look at Romans. He wanted to go to Rome. His third trip to Corinth, he writes the letter to the Romans. Read Romans. I don't want to come and start the second Pauline church of Rome. I want to come to you, preach the word and bear fruit. Why? Then chapter 15, he says that perhaps then I can move on to Spain. Carry the gospel as far as God would let him go with it. In the sphere that God had given him. In the lane that God had him running in. To the Corinthians, I want you stronger so I can move on. Great strategy. Great strategy. Why? He planted a church. He was the first one to preach the gospel there. He raised up leaders. Right? Then he moved on. He put Apollos in place. Then he moved on to Ephesus to another place. Then what happened? The assaults begin. The tests begin. First Corinthians, what was Paul fighting? Iniquity among the saints. That's what his battle was. Okay? He had challenged them with the severe letter, called them back to repentance. That had worked. Now he writes Second Corinthians, what's going on? I'm dealing with the deceivers now. I'm encouraging those who've repented because of the severe letter. Now... I'm dealing with the false ones. Why? He planned to stay long enough to help them fight this fight and win these battles. Isn't that a shepherd? I mean, do you see that? He's not taking credit for another man's work. He's trying to finish up his. When they were strong enough to deal with it themselves and to defend themselves, he would move to the next place. Why? Because there's nothing greater for a shepherd, for a true man of God, to know that when he leaves that place, that lane, that apportioned sphere, that he's leaving it in the hands of strong men who will fight the good fight. There's nothing greater. See, Paul understood that God not only called him to the Corinthians, but my plan, my goal is, is to get you strong as to send me to the next field. What? But there was enough chaos going on that he knew that he didn't have time or the resources to move on. He stays right where he's at. In Acts chapter 19, verse 21 Speaking of the Apostle Paul, remember, this is Luke speaking of Paul. Now, after these things were finished, Paul purposed in his spirit to go to Jerusalem. Remember the Jerusalem offering? He purposed in his heart to go to Jerusalem after he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia. Oh, remember that? He was going to go to the Macedonians to take up their offering. Go back to what church was in Achaia? Corinth. In Macedonia, you had Thessalonica, Philippi, and Berea. Those are the ones we know of. And after I have been there, I must also see Rome. 
You know why? Rome was his target. Why? Think about it. Rome was the capital of the world. Okay? The world, civilized world was ruled from Rome. He wanted to go to Rome. He wanted to preach the gospel to the Praetorium Guard. Caesar's personal bodyguard, he wanted to preach the gospel. Now then, he forgot the details of it because he did get to go to Rome, but he was in chains. But guess who he was chained to? The Praetorium Guard. They change shifts 12 hours at a time. And can you imagine being chained to the Apostle Paul for 12 hours? Hoy! He got his wish. Rome was his target. Rome was the capital. And then at the end of the letter to the Romans in chapter 15, what does he say? After I've had some fruit with the church in Rome, I want to go on to Spain. But you see him multiple times go back to the churches that he had founded to strengthen and to encourage them. No matter where he was, his fear, he understood it, that would not go beyond it. But I do am willing and able, if God permits, to send me wherever God wants to send me. Why? Verse 16, because I never boast. I'm not boasting in another. I cannot boast in what is accomplished in the sphere of another. But I can't come into the sphere of another and help encourage that work. That's what he wanted to do in Rome. Listen, I hate to break the news to you. There's no, the false ain't nothing like this. False will take credit for anything. Nothing like them. If called of God, let them go to their own place. Let them plant. Let them build. Let them labor. Go where Christ is not named. That's an interesting concept in this day and age. But anyway, Romans chapter 15, verse 17 and 18. Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in the things pertaining to, pertaining to God. For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed. Now that's a fascinating statement, being that he's writing the same phraseology to the Corinthians, and he's writing this letter and his third trip to Corinth. I will only boast... And what God has done through the preaching of His Word to the Gentiles and what their words and their deeds are. Alright? So a humble man of God is known by an unwillingness to take credit for anyone else's labor. They're unwilling to compare themselves to another. They are willing to work in the limited sphere that God has placed them and they're unwilling to take credit for another's labor. That's humble. Next week, they have a willingness to seek only the Lord's glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Paul and his standard. Father, I pray for each of us. Father, our faith would grow. Our eagerness, our humility would grow. And we'd have an eagerness to serve. And nothing would be beneath us. Father, help us to be overwhelmed with the privilege of being children of the Most High God. Help us to be overwhelmed by the amazing things you do. 
Help us to understand that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. And Father, may we run this race as to bring honor and glory to our Savior and our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, much is happening in this world today. And yet, Father, um, you are accomplishing exactly what you set out for. Father, I think about the Tartar Muslim boy. And Father, the tragedy that sets before him. And I pray, Father, that even in their false teaching, that, Father, that the light of the true gospel and the love of Christ through your ministers will be seen in a way that Tartar Muslims by the thousands are saved. Let them run a race where Christ is not named. To you, my King and my Savior. Amen.